Hey everyone, uh, happy Screaming Eagle Day. How's, yep. You've been joining, you're in, you're in, uh, we're with Austin again this week, of course. Uh, you're in Georgia. So, you know, I am. Your usual spot. And, uh, I'm still here in, uh, good old Wisconsin. I just got done driving in a parade. My dad's a, a city official, so, uh, uh he's nice. in a parade, so I got to drive. Nice. Uh, I haven't been to a parade in close to, like, 13, 14 years, so. I've only been wow. in parades for that long. Wow. So that's uh, funny. That's funny. We we were just talking about it afterwards. Usually afterwards, uh, my mom and I will get breakfast. And my dad does, you know, politician stuff, and we're like, "Oh yeah, what can we do better for next year?" And uh, we're just like, uh, "We could just you know get more candy." Usually, so uh, yeah, yeah uh, but exactly. yeah, it was actually pretty nice. Pretty nice this year. Uh, crowds are back, and the weather wasn't too it wasn't too hot. So. Hope everyone's enjoying your 4th of July. Of course, this is recording it by the time you listen to it. Hopefully you have a good weekend, probably. Because, of course, I'm editing again this year, this, this these episodes while Jared's out. Which is why last week's episode was recorded on a Wednesday and didn't get published until yesterday. Because <laughs> that's Sorry. how things go with me. It's alright. There's other things that you need to do. It's not, it's not yeah. just editing podcasts. <laughs> yeah, if it was, uh, there'd be a problem. But Yeah, yeah. So, that's... Uh, uh, that's, that's what happens when I edit stuff. So, let's get into this week's episode. Of course, it's six, episode 66. Also, I forgot to do the intro last week, too. Like, oh, this last week's episode. Listen, this is why Jared does it now. Uh, he's, well, he's a much better at it. All right, yeah. let's get into this week's news. Uh, first up, uh, as a completion of this 50-second flight on the Red Planet, Ingenuity has successfully, successfully regained contact with the Perseverance rover. The expected loss of contact was due to the Martian helicopter landing behind a hill during a scouting flight to help researchers uh, back on Earth better plan activities for Perseverance. JPL uh, states that it uh, now is now receiving and looking over flight data from flight number 52 and Ingenuity's next flight could be coming in the next few weeks. Uh, this was also like a week ago when they released it, so could be this week, could be next week. They usually don't uh, announce those flights like until afterwards, which is kind of annoying, but it is what it is. I saw this, yeah. I'm like, oh yeah, it has been, I, didn't, I forgot to mention it, Yeah, it's been two months since we've heard word yeah. about Ingenuity. It had been a while, and, and it's funny, like, you're right, they really don't talk about the flights until after they've happened, unless it mm-hmm. was the 50th flight, which was, I think, an, an expected, like, it's going to fly. Um, yeah at this time but yeah it's been a while and actually after that 50th flight which is kind of a big deal we wrote something on it um they had done two more flights and that second flight was completed you know two months ago but they didn't really know if it landed correctly uh and until now um and so it's i think it's funny because like it, it i almost looked at look at it as like Ingenuity is like the the Mars Falcon 9 in the sense that it's becoming so routine to do this flight. Like, it has it surpassed itself. Like, its goal was to... I, I forget. I can look it up. But, like, the it, the number of flights it wanted to do... I mean, really just one. Like, it just wanted to, like, fly. <laughs> and yeah. it's now done that 52 times. So, like, you can't necessarily say, oh, yeah, probably landed, we're good. But yeah. based off of its track record... It's hard not to. Yeah, and uh, I'll have to look up uh, who we exactly spoke to. I think we spoke to their engineering project manager um, back, like, the first couple. It was the first podcast that I was on, actually, uh, for Space Explored. Um, we interviewed them. And I remember it was, like, the mission was to, uh, to uh, see if you can fly, attempt, you know, rotor flight on Mars. And they are going to do that with a five-flight, like, campaign within one mm-hmm. month. And so now we're two years after that 
with uh, like 52 flights in, and it has a whole new mission, uh, which is kind of like it's kind of funny uh, that is that uh, that um, routine at this point again. So, which is kind of crazy. Yeah. Let me look up and see if I can find this podcast. But yeah, uh, so that's pretty much Ingenuity as best, right? I mean, that's JPL. Still going strong and definitely playing a key role in the overall mission success for uh, Perseverance as well. I mean, it's the first time that we've actually had a like aerial view of what's up ahead. And yeah. that certainly helps, especially going to the Jezero Crater where, where Perseverance is right now, where it gets a little rocky, literally. Um, and, you know, having ingenuity helps, like, just to plan a little bit better about where you go. I mean, if you could, you know, see where the traffic is up ahead, but just launching a drone, that would be pretty helpful. And, you know, that's kind of yeah. the equivalent here, but uh, on Mars, so. Oh, yeah. Uh, drones are pretty much used for a lot of things uh, here on, uh, on Earth, and they're doing the same thing, like which is actually why we usually cross our our content anything about ingenuity over the drone DJ. So, uh, yep. so yeah, pretty much the same thing. All right, next up, uh, last week. Oh my gosh, I'm starting to play a video in the background. My bad. All right, that blew out my ear. Last week, Virgin Galactic successfully completed its first commercial flight, which ended up being a research flight for Italy, uh, which was a while the ma- while the majority of the company's tickets are purchased by tourists. Uh, Galactic will also be have similar flights like this uh, for solely be research based, allowing cheaper access to experiments that don't need to be launched to orbit but can be flown on sounding rockets. Uh, we talked about this a lot last week already, so we don't need to really push around too much about what happened. But it happened. You know, uh, what was it? Thursday morning, I think, like right off the bat, no delays. Yep, there's um, Thursday morning, uh, U.S. time, I guess. I don't remember exactly. I should have. I should know what we talked about last week better, but I don't really remember. So we might repeat some of our conversations. But this was very different from Blue Origin missions. Like this was. Oh yeah. Every Blue Origin mission is pretty much a tourist mission, and it's a bunch of rich people going up and doing some flips and coming back down. This was very much a, you know, like a. Uh, this was Italy's. A, you know, it was, it was a scientific mission, research mission. Yeah. Yeah. There wasn't like even the live stream was like kind of toned down than normal for Virgin Galactic. It wasn't like a big, big show like they normally do. Um, I don't even know. Were Richard, did Richard Branson even like show up for this mission? Like I don't even. Think I don't even. I don't even know. I mean, yeah. it, it seemed like it was a very routine thing for them, which it's going to be, you know. And mm-hmm. and and I, like, it, we don't really know the results of the experiments yet. I mean, a lot of them were a little smaller. Um, yeah. Y- you know, there isn't like a big telescope being launched, but. Um, you know, as far as we understand, it went well. I mean, Virgin Galactic said it was a successful mission on, you know, all parts. Um, so, I mean, that's the summary. It went well. We know it went well. Yeah. It was a pretty cool, you know, unique mission. And the other thing was that I thought the live stream was very well done. I mean, we had cabin views for quite yeah. a while after um, the the rocket motor had shut off and they were now in that like zero gravity state. So we kind of got to see yeah. them work around a little bit. Um, I think one of the uh, passengers uh, pulled out an Italian flag, which is pretty cool too. They got like a nice yep. little picture. Um, it was all business, pretty much. Uh, yeah. Like uh, the, the Italian uh, payload specialist, or the he was the colonel who commanded the the Italian side of the mission. He got up, went to the back right away. You know, did his little stuff on the little on the um, like the rack mountain experiments that they had to do. Like I guess he had to press bu- press a bunch of buttons, like kind of started up. The other two like pulled out their experiments from their pockets. They didn't even leave the chairs. 
Um, which I guess, when you're, if you look at it as a tourist flight, like that sucks. You want to leave the chair and float around, but it's this is not it's not a tourist flight. It's a, they were there to they're, do they're working they're scientists. Yeah, they're yeah. working. Um, so they're just doing their thing, and then uh, the the Virgin Orbit, sorry, Virgin Galactic, you know, employee that was there, he got up and I don't remember. He kind of like helped other people around, and I think he did some of his own experiments and uh, kind of like got everyone back in their seats, and then was done. So I, the one thing I could always use less of, but I understand. Because when you look at these, these Virgin Galactic doesn't weigh less than Blue Origin because Blue Origin those streams are pretty much ran by their, you know, sales department. It's not really their communications yeah. department that really handles things there. It's a sales pitch every time. You know, they always talk about their flights and how because a couple, both of them have had have had employees fly on these missions, so they kind of like always bring someone who's flown and they talk about how great it is and you know like you need to do it. I mean, that's like their point of making a sale. You know, trying to get people keep people to buy the tickets. But um, and I can always use less of that because it kind of gets repetitive, you know, um, and it's a little, a little pumped up than it probably is. Um, yeah. But it's a sales pitch. I get it. I get why they're doing it. They, they want to sell their tickets. Uh, but and I, I think I brought them up last week. Uh, I listened to a lot of Kara Swisher and, and Scott Galloway podcast, and it there's there's a different tone this week on them because they always talk about how uh, I think uh, one for something if you know Scott Gallery, I think he has his whole idea on Virgin I think he has Virgin Galactic switched with Virgin Orbit so he, I think he kind of thought <laughs> for the past like couple months that they defuncted and he's I don't know but like um, he, they always seem very negative on this but this week was a little 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 different I'm like oh well like we're we have the tragedy of, of, of Ocean Gate of course and on the tail of this mission and they were kind of more like well like it was a research flight it's different but like it's tourism still, so bah, like we hate it. Uh, and I, I think this type of mission is the pretty much perfect, uh, you know, yeah, you know, we're going to have a bunch of tourism on these flights still, but these type of missions are kind of like really where I think the future of the suborbital flights are going to go, where they have definitely opportunities to do research. So Definitely. Like in, enabling the research is important, you know, because like if you go on a mm-hmm. Virgin Galactic's flight, I think they have like I think it's 125,000 US dollars right now is their ticket price. So like if you have that money and really want to do it, then yeah. you can do it. Or if you're, you know, from you know, in this case uh, the Italian government or if you're, you know, uh, say a university yes. that wants to sponsor something like yeah. you can also do uh, you know, sign up or you know, whatever the organization can you know, pay for a research mission to conduct research and to, I guess, close this off a little bit, the, you know, and recap from what we said last week, like the reason that, you know, these are so beneficial is because it enables you to, for much cheaper than orbital flight, do experiments that might require zero gravity. For example, there was a liquid mixing experiment that would mm-hmm. produce foam when the liquids mixed. However, it would only produce that foam not under Earth's gravity. And so you yeah. don't need to go to orbit to do that. You just need to get me, uh, you know, to microgravity or zero gravity. And that's what this flight enables you to do. And so it's like yeah. you're spending significantly less for this flight than it would be to put that experiment on orbit, which doesn't need to last that long. So, um, very beneficial. And, uh, I think I, I really like what Virgin Galactic is uh, doing. Yeah. And it's, it's pocket change for like governments and even like large scale researchers. Exactly. Like- Exactly. Pocket change to them. Uh, do you know what? How how long? I, it's at least two minutes. I think I counted of weightlessness. Um, I think I think that's about right. Yeah. Which okay. Again, is is 
short compared know, to an orbital flight, but plenty of time. Like, yeah, because I know there uh, there's options on sounding rockets that can get you to three minutes. Um, mm-hmm. But the issue with sounding rockets is that you've like they're tiny. <laughs> you gotta kind of fit yeah. them. Like they're big. They look decent sized rockets, but the actual payload area is like much smaller than the actual rocket size. Mm-hmm. Um, still. Uh, and then also, like, it's not human control. Like, you have to find a way to control it without humans. And I think exactly. probably just, it's probably just easier than a, the human to just press a button than it is to be like, well, if you're at this altitude, yeah. then yeah. make sure you press, activate this and this and this. So I'm sure some of those experiments could have been done on sounding rockets, which I think are probably cheaper still than this. But, uh, you know, it's probably just easier to, to have, like, 13 of them at once. Um, some of them, which, like, we study human body, can't be done on sounding rockets. So Exactly. Perfect to do this here. All right. Yeah, so Virgin Galactic, good job. Congrats. Uh, hopefully to see more launches out of you guys. Um, and hopefully more research missions rather than tourism. So Definitely. All right, final topic today before we get to our main topic uh, is, of course, SpaceX. Initially initially supposed to fly on a Russian Soyuz rocket, ESA's Euclid, um, I think is how you pronounce it. No. Uh, telescope was switched to a SpaceX Falcon 9 post-Russia's invasion of Ukraine. The rocket lifted off from Slick 40 from Cape Canaveral Space Force Station in Florida. The mission will attempt to answer a big question of astronomers. Why is the universe expansion accelerating? Is it really pronounced useless? Is it useless? I don't know. I don't remember. I only watched a bit of the, of the live coverage of it. Um, I think it's useless. It might be something I also it is European. Or I, I also only saw a little bit of live coverage in which I don't think they said the name of the telescope the whole time. So, um, just a little question. <laughs> all, the Amer- all the SpaceX people are like, just can we not talk? Because I don't know how to pronounce it. Yeah, yeah. Which no, so, okay, we'll go with useless. That's not how I had been pronouncing it. But we'll go with that, and then I'll I, I probably also, look it up I'm later terrible. and be very angry. Yeah, probably. So, uh, do you do you, did you research into this at all? Like what I, I know it's studying something to do with dark energy, I think. Yeah, yeah, they But they I don't were, fully understand how it's doing it. They were they were talking a, a bit about that. Um I think basically it it like um hold on one second. Let me I'm pulling up. I, I know it's like here. mapping the entire like universe it's it's like doing like image mapping, I guess, of the entire like sky kind of and like it's trying to kinda of like uh, because the, the the big question is so like dark energy. You guys don't know the whole idea about dark energy, dark matter. It's kind of like what makes up the rest of the universe that we don't really can't see. I've always kind of looked at it as kind of like the uh, if you don't understand it, it's dark energy or dark matter uh, because it's not really <laughs> fully understood. And uh, <laughs> they just kind of like you don't works. know what's happening. It's dark energy. Uh, I don't know if that's actually how they classify it, whether or not it's something being caused with that, but that's kind of how it makes sense in my head when people do explain it to me who are smarter than me. Um, and so the universe, if you kind of like map if you kind of like you know study stars and galaxies of them moving you know you'll see that everything's expanding away from us uh and then that apparently that expand and they kind of understand that as well everything's moving like universe is expanding but they don't understand is that the expansion rate is accelerating so everything's expanding faster uh so that's kind of like what one of the big questions uh you is trying to answer um it's kind of like why everything's that's happening yeah, so I'm gonna I mean, well, let let let's quickly. I think let's actually back up a little bit and let's define dark dark matter and dark energy, which, like you said, are the two things that you could looking for. And also briefly describe. I'll, I'll describe what um, kind of where it's looking, and it it's basically looking anywhere the Milky Way isn't, because mm-hmm. the Milky Way has all these stars and dust and other whatnot, and our galaxy is like a disk. So 
it has places that it can look that aren't mm-hmm. the galaxy. Um, and I think it's going to do a couple like deep field observations as well. Um, mm-hmm. But the other thing is, in terms of positioning, uh, it's going out to Lagrange point one, two. two. I think it's two. I think it's gonna, yeah, it's going to be out with. It was a gamble. Um, <laughs> you but, had so, uh, what six options? Yep, and uh, I was like, <laughs> I'll call it close because it kind of, you know, <laughs> you were, two, you yeah. were in the same quarter. Um, so, <laughs> dark matter is undetected form of matter that is thought to account for approximately 85% of the matter in the universe. Uh, thought being a key word there, because, like... It's one of those, like, we don't understand it, but yeah. we're just going to go with it. Um, <laughs> and then dark energy is a form of energy uh, that is uh, thought to be thought to permeate all of space and accelerate the expansion of the universe. So, I think that's the other thing that we're really trying to figure out, and that we have been trying to figure out forever, is since the Big Bang, the, Big Bang, the universe has been expanding. And it's not only expanding still, um, but like expanding at faster and faster rates. And it's like, the question is obviously, why is it doing that? And kind of how? And the, the, the thought is that dark energy, whatever that is, um, kind of plays a role in that acceleration and expansion, um, acceleration of the expansion. And so hopefully, uh, Uslid, what it's going to try to do is kind of map different portions of the sky and see like it's going to do some science and (laughs) and like you said there are going to be some very smart people that know what to do with the data that you said captures and (laughs) and interpret it and hopefully do some studies on it and we're going to see some really cool papers and uh therefore we'll see kind of maybe some answers finally um, I, I hate I hate to say it, but this, this is the research that is really really cool that no one's gonna care about too. Like, is this gonna be like? Yeah. it's gonna come out. There's gonna be a really great press release. It's gonna be a great paper. All of us, all of us are gonna write about it, and all the science people are gonna be like super excited about it, and like it'll get no views. <laughs> yeah, unless it's a really and, cool photo. Unless it's a really cool photo attached. It, but you know, like I said, it's one of those it's one of those things that like are very very complicated. We don't really understand it, and we kind of like have to understand it if we want to kind of get down to the understand exactly. the universe more so it's a very very important mission to kind of to, to get to that knowledge uh, but yes it's a little complicated and and the last thing here is like the use of the use of telescope as a like telescope and like technology mm-hmm. i'm not exactly sure on the specifications but um one of its one of the things it's doing to kind of like get these questions answered is measure like uh galaxies that are really far away and like their shapes, mm-hmm. positions, and like kind of how fast and far they're moving, and like what might be influencing those based off of like you know different um, different galaxy positions relative to one another. And I'm going to try to make a comparison here that might be wrong, and I'd really love to be corrected on this because this is how I best understand it. And it's that like black holes you can't see to an extent, mm-hmm. like the black hole itself, but like you can see that whatever. Yeah. Um, but we can view, and and this is how like the black hole at the center of our galaxy was discovered. We can view like the visible objects around it and see that they're all moving around and orbiting around something that isn't visibly there. And so, hopefully, with this dark matter and energy stuff, uh, although it's dark and we can't see it, hopefully, you know there we can view the visible things and then therefore be able to interpret and and, and say okay 
because this visible object is doing this, and there's nothing else visible that should help it do this, then it's probably this, you know? Um, and so I think that's the best comparison that I can come up with, but I'd love to be corrected and maybe taught some things more because this is like <laughs> so far above like my understanding. Like I can tell you how the yeah, telescope I'd... might work, but not necessarily what data it's going to gather. Yeah, I would love to speak for someone who actually like understands the the, the, 100%. Yeah, the science. Fan. Like those are the best people to talk to. Like just like someone who understands the data and like can actually communicate it. Like I, I love speaking with um, Mariba Jaw from from Privateer because he's a teacher and he's like a scientist, so he understands the data and he can teach it. So it's like oh, I just keep asking yeah. questions all the time and he just like explains it. I feel dumb doing it, but like he, I learn new things every time I speak with him. So I need more people like that in my life to kind of explain this so if you do well, know like how this all works please reach out and maybe and maybe we could talk to said person on a podcast uh in the future we have a thing once called some space data podcast <laughs> we can talk to people on all right so uh this actually topic is going to kind of leak into our main topic so we're going to take a break right here before we talked about that but it has to do with europe um and uh well, today was supposed to be the last day that Rockets was supposed to launch. It actually, its uh, life extended one more day because I read a press release just before I came on here. So we'll yep. talk about that topic after the break. All right, uh, we're back and we're talking about Europe, which is not my most uh, researched, uh, not research, not my most uh, pr- prolific uh, skill of, of information, but it's important this week because we had um, the... We were talking off camera. It's either Euclid or Euclid. Not exactly sure which one of our uh, guesses are right on how you pronounce it. Uh, we should probably know that, but also uh, lots of things happen. So, um, but we had that mission fly on a Falcon 9 that was originally supposed to be on a Soyuz that ESA can no longer have access to. And then now, uh, supposedly supposed to be today, July 4th, we were supposed to have the final launch of the Ariane 5. Uh, win, uh, due to unfavorable winds that got pushed back to tomorrow now. Um, so you, Aaron 5 lives on tomorrow day. being July 5th. Yes, Hopefully, tomorrow being July 5th. By the time this is out, it will have already launched. Um, by the time you've launched this, we'll be down one heavy lift rocket. Which is kind of sad. I mean, yeah, I think the Arian 5 is a very, very cool rock. Like, super cool mm-hmm. um, for a lot of reasons. And I'm going to try not to, like, really blab on about it. But, like, it did launch James Webb Space Telescope and kind of nail that launch. So it's, like, it automatically has, like, a cool status to it just for doing that. Mm-hmm. Um, but also, like, it's a really, really big, like, center core with one massive engine on the bottom and then two, like, really, really big solid rocket like, motors on the side. Yeah. I it's just a love, beefy, massive rocket. Yeah. I love any rocket with big SRBs. They're just... You, I, you can't go yeah, wrong. Yeah, you can't go Yeah. I like big SRBs and, uh, yes. Uh, any, or anything with SRBs. I love Atlas Vs. Vulcan's going to be a great one because they have SRBs. Of course, SLS, Ariane 5. I mean, Ariane 6 is going to have SRBs. Uh, Vega is amazing because it is just an SRB. Uh, <laughs> What's the other one? Uh, well, uh, the Minotaur is also just a big SRB, pretty much. So yeah. uh, I need to go find one of those launching uh, over at Wallops one day. Um, so I love SRBs are great. They're just the well, greatest way to get this. And the other space. thing the other thing that like I really like about the Ariane 5 is its launch location and, mm-hmm. and French Guiana in South America. Um, it's, well, hey, it's a little bit confusing because, like, a lot of people think, wait, it's launching from Europe? And it's like, 
not the yes continent, no. but technically, politically, like, it is. Yeah, yeah, but no, it's not because they get really confused about like how does that work. Um, but yeah, yeah no, it, it, it launched. French Guiana is considered. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's considered the like, French, French territory. They call it so, Europe's spaceport. Yeah, exactly. Which like Europe. isn't a bad like. That's totally like a reasonable like. You know, Europe yeah. can have that you know place to launch, which you know unfortunately will have one less rocket launching from it. But mm-hmm. um, I think the whole area is really, really beautiful. I mean, uh, I believe a couple of years ago, um, uh, uh, John Krauss and Trevor Mullen were down there working out some yep. really amazing shots. And um, um, a bunch of the U.S. press went down there for uh, your, uh, for the uh, James Webb telescope. They did. I was and they like, were just... I was one button. I was one button away from going to that launch, which was the, the purchase wow. button for the, for the airline tickets. That was the wow. button I was away. And I'm like, can't afford it. <laughs> yeah, it's tough to get down there. And that's what I was going to say. It's not yeah. like you just like land at the airport and like travel over, for example, landing yeah. in Orlando and it's, going over to Cape It's Canada, not Orlando you know, where you or, just pick up a Hertz, you go to the Hertz, yeah, pick up a exactly. Hertz, or you're drive like, down. You're kind of hiking, um, <laughs> you know, at least from what I've heard. But uh, I think, I think super for cool. Web, they had like, these are the flights you should go on. You should arrive by this time. We'll have like shuttles and like all this stuff. And I think like, ESA does a really good job when you go down there to like help out foreign press yeah um, and and i believe uh chris gebhardt formerly at nasa spaceflight was tweeting yeah. about how like he went from the u.s over to france and france. then down and that's, it was yeah, just I like because that was the route very, I was going to take too yeah it's, and and it's, it's seven hours to france i think or eight hours to france depending on where you, li- you leave from and then it's like yeah. the same amount back uh, uh and it's like yeah or you can do like it's eight hours down there direct, but like the direct is like you're hopping through a bunch of small airports through Central America, which no one suggests you should do. Yeah, um, unless you tough are literally touching all your belongings with you. You're not checking any bags or like yeah. ho- hoping anything gets along with you. So uh, yeah, yeah, everyone because like, you can go Air France because French Guiana is France. Like it's yeah, it's a country te- or it's, it's a territory in South America, but like politically, it's France. So all you need is to be able to fly to France. And so, whatever you know, I don't think. I don't know. Do you need a visa to go to the EU with a with a U.S. passport? I don't think so. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think it's only if you like you're staying there or something. Uh, yeah, so you, for all long you have to do periods is of time. Have you have your passport if you're in the U.S. Fly to France, well, fly to Paris, and, and then you get a flight I'm gonna, from Paris. I'm, I'm going to say here while we're on the passport talk, just a quick side note here um, <laughs> that that I recently learned uh, is that a lot of the uh, EU countries and some mm-hmm. others don't allow uh, at least uh, U.S. Uh, citizens to travel and enter their country if their passport expires within three months of their oh. uh, stay. So um, I've learned this the hard way. Uh, my family <laughs> has learned this the hard way and will hopefully not make this mistake again. Um, but if you're planning on going to an EU country or a couple other countries in Europe, make sure your passport expires, <laughs> if it does soon, at least three or six, sometimes six months after. Just get a um, fresh one. Just get a fresh, however, hot off the press passport. Yes. However, there are some countries that allow you to go that, you know, for valid for the duration of stay, um, like yeah. Japan. But um, my whole point uh, <laughs> is that, yeah, you just need a passport um, and, you know, it, but there's also a lot of others. I mean, it's international travel. It's never going to be easy and stress-free. Yeah, um, and uh, but back, speak- to the, back to the main point. <laughs> yeah. It, well, speaking of kind of travel and French Guiana um, and the Ariane 5, a while ago, and I wish I could remember this better, um, I spoke with um, one of the higher-ups at Ariane Space 
who had been there since like the beginning of the Ariane Five back in the early 2000s, which first attempted mm-hmm. to launch uh, in 2004 and then first fully successful launch in 2007. Um, but it uh, they he had said that like when they got like to French Guiana, it was like it, it was very hard to like get around like there weren't roads there's yeah. no infrastructure when they were first there like everything there like pretty much had to be brought in by like boat um and i think he had mentioned they were like traveling down one of the rivers to like get to locations like it was basically river travel for a while and just like <laughs> camping and hiking through weeds like it was like a treacherous like early part of the the air and space history in french Guiana. Yeah. Um, I remember there was a podcast, uh, it was a NASA podcast, I don't know which one it is because I listened to the NASA cast, which is like all of their podcasts in one RSS feed that I have on Apple Podcasts. Um, I don't know which one it was, but they were talking about a, uh, uh, it was like from, uh, it was Horizontal Launch Australia, I think it's what it's called, or Equatorial Launch Australia. Um, they their first mission, uh, all of the NASA people, and there was some press that went down to for this mission, they are just, they are just camping, they are just tents. All they had, yeah. they had no yeah. infrastructure around the launch site. It was just, it was just tense. Um, well, and, and so. you know, I'd love to see like a book or documentary or something done on those early days. Maybe that's something I would I maybe work on. But fun. like, like the early in days of, of the Ariane 5 and at least like that launch port is like super yeah. cool. Because like I said, like James Webb is launched from there. And, like there have been like, de- like very significant Rosetta, like very significant missions launched from this location, which is like surprisingly remote. Um, so yeah. I just think it'd be super cool to kind of learn about that history. And, you know, unfortunately now, uh, almost 20 years after its first launch attempt, we're seeing, you know, the end of the Ariane 5. Um, yeah, because you don't realize that the French Space Agency, well, the French Space Program, is, is, is very, very long going. It, it predates kind of the European Space Agency, and it goes back to a very, very long time. They've been launching Ariane rockets for decades. Um, mm-hmm. And actually, the title of this topic is supposed to be State of the European Launch Market Post-Ariane 5. Um, because I've written a couple things about this, and, and Europe has, like, European Space Agency has stated multiple times that they want to, they want their own dedicated, they want their own secured, you know, sovereign, I think they call it, like, sovereign access to space, something like that. Yeah, they don't um, want to have to send everything over to the U.S. for Falcon Heavy yeah. and Vulcan, whatever However, else the issue have. is, yeah, the issue is that SpaceX is just so darn cheap. Uh, and when it comes to orbital and heavy lift launch, and right now Europe does have a pretty kind of a big launch crisis on hands because they're retiring the Ariane Five, so an Ariane Six probably is going to launch till next year at the earliest. So they don't still have a heavy seeing lift delays launch. like yeah, lots of delays as that and that's you know progresses. Still, it's still being delayed. It's not like uh, we have a rocket, we're going to launch it. Oh, we're just finishing out tests, kind of like SLS was always like. Well, at least we have a rocket like being built. You know, like, and they mm-hmm. do have, I think, the first Ariane 6 is, like, in production and in, like, final manufacturing. But, like, literally, SLS was just sitting there, like, almost fully constructed. Uh, and, like, yeah. just finalizing some, like, one-item things. This is just still being full-on delayed. Uh, and so they, then you have, is it Avios, I think it's called? Uh, well, I actually have the link. Hold on. It is Avios. Avio, um, who's the company that builds Vega. Because they have Vega C that's offline and that probably won't launch until yeah. they probably won't return the flight till next year either that just announced that they had an issue with their the same stage in a test yeah. frame um i'd like to take a second to, to correct something i said earlier date wise and my dates mixed up um speaking of the Ariane 5 eca which is the latest variant first launch attempt was a failure in 2002 and the first successful launch was 2005 
of the Arian 5 ECA variant. Multiple other variants, which we don't need to get into, uh, but the ECA variant has been the longest lasting variant. And uh, Was that the I, failure I, though? Was it that like it underperformed, but it still made the orbit? Or was that? the That first flight? Uh, I'm not that was sure. Like, oh, that under, underperformed, but whatever. Um, uh, the, the, the current, really, the current status of, of European space is kind of like rough. There's a lot of different companies. If you're if you're really into European space, like the updates and someone who really knows the European space market, because like I'm in the U.S., it's kind of hard sometimes to get in, like to stay up to date with Europe, Europe European companies because time zones are different. But like it's kind of sometimes hard to set up times to talk. Usually they're pretty cool about it, so they kind of help us out. But um, there's a newsletter called Europe and Space or Europe and Space Light. Um, which yep. is a really, really good newsletter yep. that I've been reading. And they just kind of, I just read it over. It's kind of the reason why I made this is because, uh, of course, there's several different companies coming on to Rocket, um, to French Guiana to launch. So while there's kind of like the dwindling rockets, so they have Ariane 5 retiring, so there's no more heavy launch. They've lost access to Soyuz because they didn't build a medium lift launcher, they've, they've purchased them from Russia. Vega C is offline for another year, and then Avio is still trying to get. They want to get the regular Vega up, you know, up online again, I guess, um, to kind of take over some of those light launch um, capabilities. But their yeah. their kind of their launch markup, the launch market is still like in a startup phase. Like there's not really there's no Firefly or Rocket Lab or um, what's it what would be an ABL who's like in that final stage of development where they're launching rockets. Uh, there's PLOD space, mm-hmm. which I think is probably the closest, but they're launching out of France. And I guess they have some weird laws over there with fire uh, like protection where they can't launch during certain seasons um, to help to not have any sort of wildfires. Interesting. Uh, so that's they're delayed and they're held back by that. So like that's really I think PLD space really is the only company that like over there in Europe that's capable of, at, at that final stage. But even then, like I mean, they're 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 small set launchers. There's no. There's no larger rockets being coming out of commercially other than out of Arian space. And, yeah, so I, yeah. I think one of the big questions is like, will once Arian Six gets online, like, will they be relying heavily on Arian Six? Like, are are we gonna mm-hmm. actually see these or maybe any new, you know, private launch companies show up enough to like, I guess, be you know have a sustainable, you know, launch because mm-hmm. like, they're, they, I guess what I'm trying to say is like Europe and, and, and the European space agency will have plenty of things to launch and do. Yeah. But it's like, I think a lot of their stuff tends to be rather large. And so you need larger rockets, which are obviously not as easy to build, you know, as some small set launchers, not that those are easy yeah. either. But um, my point is like, do you really, do you think that the Arian six is going to be relied on, just as heavily as the Ariane Five is now, or do you think that I mean, some, something else is going to show up? Yeah, it's like yeah. Like how can for the longest time Europe has relied on Ariane Space as like its first sole commercial contractor. It, it's it was like the it's like ULA was before SpaceX showed up. Like it's pretty much the only game in town if you mm-hmm. want something dedicated to launch out of Europe. Um, which for Europe, like, I mean, the question is, does every continent? Because I guess you, well, country you can you can pretty much look at EU as which is its own country, because um, they kind of the, the economies kind of act like one. Uh, does every single region, I guess you can call it, need its own dedicated launcher? Um, like, 
does Europe need to have a launcher, or do they need to have? Does Europe need to have as thriving of a space launch market as the U.S. is, uh, or does Europe specialize? Do they build better? You know, are they the satellite manufacturer of the world? You know, do they build the best satellites and the most and the cheapest satellites and the stuff like that? Uh, which I, I think they're pretty well head on. Like they built some pretty good satellites over there in Europe, um, and some pretty good space station components and stuff like that. Like Canada, yeah, built some good robotics. They're I mean, always like people just... you go to when you go to robotics. Whenever like whenever there's a, a new big satellite launching like that ha- is a collaboration like mm-hmm. definitely there's go check to Airbus see who the collaborators are Airbus. because yeah. like ESA is almost always a collaborator on some of these big big launches because they're very good at what they do. Um, sometimes mm-hmm. they are the sole you know manufacturer or developer or whatever of you know mm-hmm. certain satellites. But like if if I were building a big satellite for a big mission then i would probably reach out to isa um yeah not that ESA, I do that, or like the Th- but... oh, was it theos alanis or alina yeah like yeah yep. um airbus i don't know I, I think there's there's airbus there's the european sector of airbus and there's the, the u.s sector of airbus but i think they have a big satellite manufacturer over in europe as well i'm pretty uh, sure I mean, yeah. like, but if you look over here on the u.s side like there's a lot of like micro satellite you know builders and of course they're all like a lot of them are attached to like to the small sat launchers like you have Phantom Space is a, is a company that I just listened to their um, to Jim Cantrell's interview with um, Payload Space. I always thought it was like not a serious company, but like it seems that it seems I was wrong on that one. They are very much a serious company trying to build a serious rocket this time. Um, so uh, the Phantom Space wants to do something like that. Astro wants to do like satellite manufacturing, Rocket Labs in the satellite mm-hmm. manufacturing, SpaceX is in satellite manufacturing. Uh, like they're all like side businesses onto another business. Which doesn't degrade their quality, probably, but it definitely is not like a main soul of innovation, like you know, sole manufacturer of satellites. Like, uh, I'm trying to think of a company like Redwire Space. I think it's like one of those, or um, they, they do a lot of they do a lot of stuff. But like some of some coming at that, um, with something well, that it, Europe can totally take take care of and, and kind of be like that specialty market. However, they really want a launcher. They want a crew launch system. Uh, they want you know they want their own kind of like space program they kind of compete they kind of want to be nasa they would like to be nasa they i think a lot of them are tired of being the sideshow of yeah well and i think like one one important characteristic of the arian 6 that i'd like to point out because i'm a huge fan of it on the arian 5 and i'm very glad it's still a capability on the arian 6 is the dual launch capability um which is that capability to basically launch two very large satellites um yeah just for example, this this final Ariane five launch will see that with the launch of two very large satellites, and I think that's honestly something. I mean, we don't really have that ability, um, at least. Yeah, it's kind of weird that SpaceX has stolen that idea. But 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 also like SpaceX, I don't think, and I'm not sure on the exact fairing numbers, but I don't mm-hmm. think that SpaceX can right now launch. Right two satellites of significant size, at least definitely yeah. not as big as Ariane 6 Maybe and Ariane 5 can. Maybe on future version of the Falcon Heavy with the extended nose cone? Because I, I think it's probably a yep. height issue. It's probably a height issue. Yeah. Because I think the yeah. widths are pretty close. Uh, it's probably a height issue. But that's like know, that. That's pretty critical because if you're launching to you know a geostationary transfer mm-hmm. or whatever, then like being able to get two... Like it, it's kind yeah, of the definition of cost. killing two birds with one stone because you have... Yeah basically a, a rideshare mission that is you know has two very large satellites and you know that's a lot of mass i mean i, I don't know the exact yeah. 
I can try to find it. The whole, total payload mass for this final Arian 5 launch is just under 7,000 kilograms, which is around 15,500 pounds. So, like, yeah. that's heavy. That's, and, that's you know, I think heavy. it's split I mean, I, pretty evenly between those two satellites. But that is yeah. something, you know, talking about being unique and, you know, Europe and, and ESA, you know, in the European yeah. Union having their own thing. Like, that's something pretty unique because if, you know, if I'm a... Uh, a satellite manufacturer company that is building a large satellite instead of paying for the full ride on a falcon heavy or uh, a vulcan or delta four heavy even though you know that that's almost done too but another heavy lift launcher from the mm-hmm. u.s i might go send it over to arian space and say hey do you have anyone else you know who's wanting to launch a similar size satellite let's split it yeah you know that that you know allows you to put more into the satellite itself uh, so that's definitely something unique that they have, you know, going for them in a way that I'm very happy to see continue on to uh, the Arian 6. Yeah, I don't know what if there's any um, uh, bonus they get from being closer to the equator. Um, like that could be, I mean, but because we've seen equatorial, even, we've, we've seen, I mean, tropics flew yep. to the equator and then did a inclination change. So like, it's possible. Very crazy. Um, that they was. did that from Virginia, <laughs> so like they did that yeah. from Virginia. So uh, there's, I know there's some performance gain you get from being close to the equator, but it seems like we're, we might be past that in a grand scheme of things. Like when you look at micro scale, like in a macro scale, we're probably away from that. But in a micro scale, when you look at like individual yeah. launchers and like there might be some performance gains there that that actually means something. But we're looking at like Falcon Nine and, and like Electron; they seem to be doing just fine uh, launching further north. Um. But uh, Europe, Europe. I mean, the, their space program. I mean, it's t- it's taken a slight. I mean, their economy has also taken a slight hit over the past few years as well, from COVID to inflation to the Ukraine uh, invasion of Ukraine. So a lot of things. Um, but they seem to the space flight seems to be, kind of be growing there more that has that has been in the past few years. Like we see, I, I would have to get a list. I know there's like four or five different rocket startups that are like coming onto the scene over there in Europe. Definitely. Whether or not they can compete with the the um, companies like okay, the United States and, and of course Electron, however you pronounce that, however you consider that a U.S. or a New Zealand launcher, but yeah. uh, whether or not they can consider, I, you know, I, did, I usually throw it in with the U.S. Uh, yeah. If uh, whether or not I, I you, they that. can compete, yeah, whether you can compete with the U.S. launchers, I think it's still up in the air. I think uh, ESA will like it very much. We'll see maybe if ESA kind of like kind of carries them along with contracts to keep them there, like subsidize the market. Um, however, pol- I mean, the politics in Europe is insanely difficult as well. It, it's like on a whole other scale because you have you have the, the EU politics and then you have the separate nations politics and they kind yeah. of all have to agree, which usually doesn't work as well as like even here. <laughs> so it's trying well, to get it, everyone well, to agree. Like you raise a good point. It's like the European Space Agency is like it's a collection of a bunch of countries agents. yeah it's not <laughs> yeah. it's not yeah. just like it's not just one which is body yeah. governing the european space agency but which, you know which we see in the virgin galactic flight virgin galactic it wasn't through the esa like even yes, their, true, their colonel true. who looks like on space this isn't through esa this is through the italian air force and the italian it's the italian research council or it might be commissioned but i think it's council um, i think it's council yeah uh it's through separate organizations not through the esa so well, politics over there is just kind of weird on where funding comes from, um, and like different different 
programs doing different things like we had um sophia which wasn't which was with germany but it wasn't through esa that was with germany yeah um so like things are weird over there and who will fund who because i know rocket factory osberg is like another really promisable um company mm-hmm. out of europe yep. that is going to be launching for french guiana um yep. uh and they're they're from germany and i don't know like how they're obviously they're going to be helping with esa has some role in there you know supporting them but like they're germany so they could also have the dsl or dsd something like that whatever their their space agency is uh is well, and i think also. the Probably the the next part to this topic would be like not only the European launch market, but like the European space market in general. Mm-hmm. Not that we have something like dropping out of the European space agency at the moment, but like yeah. it is always kind of been just a weird, like, you know, what, what's the best move? Do you collaborate, uh, with ESA and other countries or do you use a science organization with your own country? Like what are the benefits? What are the drawbacks? Yep. You know, like how does that exactly work? And, you know, I think to quickly answer that, it could be that, you know, if if you're, you know, building a satellite or whatever, and there are multiple countries involved in building this satellite, then it's probably a good thing to just collaborate with ESA. You know, that's a good mm-hmm. body to govern this collaboration within Europe. Um, but if it's like Sophia, for example, where you're working with a certain, you know, organization in a country, it might make sense to just work with that country uh, versus yeah. the entire European Space Agency. Yeah. Um, there are other government liaison i had that's what we called our our employee when at my last company but uh it must be really complex they must have a lot <laughs> they have to work with multiple government agencies so uh, yeah there, but, there's just a lot know, of questions with europe and and to to get kind of back to the just what will the state be now that arian 5 is gone i think one thing it's important to note that like the arian 5 wasn't like it was obviously playing a very big role in, in the European mm-hmm. launch market, but it's also not like, it's not like it's leaving and there's a big gaping hole. Like for yeah. a little bit while Ariane 6 hasn't launched, you know, there kind of will be almost, but like Ariane 6, yeah. that, you know, it, it, it has payloads that are ready to launch on it, like, or, you know, that, that will, it will launch. So it's not like there's nothing that's there. Like the Ariane 6 will take over the Ariane 5's job and will hopefully do as just a good of a job as Aaron five did. And so like, it's almost just a replacement. We're just in the time where there isn't one. Um, and so I think it would be great to revisit this topic in three or four years and see, you know, a, are there any private companies that have shown up and progressed Mm -hmm. and done better and are now launching routinely and B what's the state of the Aryan six and how many times have it launched and compared to Aaron five, because if it's the same or better, you know, higher launch cadence as the Ariane 5, then I'd say it's trending in the right direction. Uh, if yeah. it's lower, then I think there's some other questions that could be asked there. Yeah. Like, this is something I'm going to keep an eye on over the last next few years to see, like, who, who makes it, who, who doesn't, um, and then, like, kind of how the market really develops and local suppliers, lo- local people who need to launch their satellites and local companies who can do it. Um, of course, then we got to throw in Starship into the mix, and now that's going to mess up the whole launch market. No, oh, yeah, that's we don't oh, have time. Boy. We don't have time to talk about that one. No, uh, we don't. We're actually, <laughs> we got to run up on our time now. Uh, kind of like end up end the episode because again, uh, we have a great conversation, Austin. We we have maybe we need to have you on more often. Great conversation. Maybe so. Uh, that we keep going. Hopefully, on. um, uh, maybe I need to be in a different location at each time too. I'll travel to a new state every I'm down. every I'm every down. time. That's a great idea. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so that's it for this week's episode of the Space Explored Podcast. I uh, appreciate anyone who leaves a review and leaves a comment um, and, and asks us questions, and we would love to answer them in, in future episodes as well. 
Uh, you can follow along uh, my coverage over at spaceandsport.com. Uh, you can, of course, join our Discord. I'm posting things on there. Please come see them. Uh, and uh, you can also uh, follow, Jer- uh, sorry, not Jared. Jared's going to be back next week. Austin, you can follow Austin. Where can they find I'm you on? Uh... <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. I'm on Instagram, Austin.Basisto, and Twitter is AustinBasisto. Awesome. And uh, you can, of course, listen to us on all the major podcasting sites, um, including Apple, Google, uh, Spotify, Overcast, whatever, and at spaceofsport.com. Uh, see you guys all next week. <laughs>